Well, for the kids who are still left in here who can hear me, once again, who is God? God God is our creator and king. Yes, he is. Well, you've seen the uh, the gospel project and um, where the kids are at in their instruction for today had they been over on the other side with that. And just by way of, of quick review, uh, previous weeks been talking about Noah's Ark and, of course, God's uh, anger and disappointment with the mankind that he had created because of the growing and increasingly uh, perverse and wicked evil that was infecting the entire human race. And so God, in uh, in a cleansing, in only in his wisdom, you know, does it all make sense to be sure, but in his wisdom, he brought a global flood upon the earth and eliminated all but eight people on the face of the earth. And of course, that was Noah and his family, and then only a very select representation of the animals that were alive were also preserved as they got on that uh, ark that uh, God spared Noah and his family and as well as the basically what would be the the seeds if you will in those animals as well as in the people to start over again and it wasn't because God didn't know all that was coming uh, again that's one of the more mysterious aspects of who God is as king and creator um, but because we know him through his whole counsel, we can trust him, we can believe in him, and we accept all those things even if we don't always understand them. Well, in Genesis chapter 9 now, we've come up to, again, as I said, to uh, the ark coming to rest on dry land. And God speaks to Noah and to his family, and this is what he says. We begin in Genesis chapter 9, beginning in verse 12. God said... This is the sign of the covenant, which is just a promise, okay? It's a promise that is sealed by God's character and word, which means it's a promise that will not fail. And he says, I'm going to give you a sign which I am making between me and between you and between every living creature that is with you for all successive generations. So the promise that God made to Noah wasn't simply for Noah and those seven others with him on the ark. It was for everybody in the human race from that day on forward to this day and will continue until Jesus returns and we get the culmination of human history and theological and all that that means. So it is to be perpetuated throughout all time. God continues to elaborate on this special sign. He says, I set my bow in the cloud and it shall be for a sign of a covenant between me and the earth and it shall come about When I bring a cloud over the earth, that the bow will be seen in the cloud, and I will remember my covenant or my promise, which is between, again, me and you and every living creature of all flesh. Do you know, for as many times as I've read through this this book over the years, it just never stuck or clicked with me that God's promise called the Noahic covenant wasn't just to Noah, but it was to the natural created order in all living things just kind of blew my mind. And that just came this week. And that's why, again, you know, you can't exhaust uh, the word of God and the Holy Spirit just kind of brings things to mind when he has need for it. And I'm not even sure what this all means, but I just remember I paused and I just went, whoa. And it might be because in my cycling, um, and some of you know well if you're on Facebook, the squirrel population this year is insane, okay? 
And here's what I find myself doing, and I'm not making this up for this purpose or just for an illustration. They, they, there are so many dead squirrels on the road that I, some of my rides, I keep track and it shows up in my title of my ride for that day on an app called Strava, like eight squirrel ride today. Um, and there's mysteries in itself about squirrels and their behaviors. One of which, this has nothing to do with the lesson today, but you're here last service. Hey, we can talk as long as we want, right? No. So here it is. Here comes Mr. Squirrel. I'm riding my bike. The squirrel comes across all the lane of traffic, and he's one foot from safety. And all of a sudden, somehow he happens to see me, and all he has to do is take three more squirrel steps, and he's safe. No, a 180, and back across the other way. And so you see all these dead squirrels. And as I am riding, I cannot help, and I don't do it with everyone, be too many, but I honestly say, one day, little squirrel, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Seriously. And you are going to find safety, if you even need to find safety, which I don't think they will in the heavens. I know it's crazy, but cycling when you're out there for a couple hours gets kind of boring, and you just find ways to keep yourself entertained. any rate, we have the rainbow, or should have the rainbow up here, I think, right? Yes, let's get the rainbow up here. Sorry. Um, and I took this myself uh, this season out in uh, what I like to call the Holy Land. Um, it's out at a golf course, and there's 18 holes. There you go. All right. Anyway, you know, you, sometimes you got to spiritualize your endeavors to make it. Ju- anyway. All right. So this was the special sign that the Lord gave. We continue. When the bow is in the cloud, then I, that is God's going to look upon it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant or the promise which I have established again between me and all the flesh that is on the earth. Now, it was a lot more fun when I had children up here in the first service but I asked them who had birthdays coming up soon, and I said, so so uh, I'm assuming that you drop hints to your parents, or maybe not so much hints even, as just saying, here's what I want for my birthday, right? Because that's what we, the way we do things. Or it could be Christmas or whatever. And let's say that your mother, your father, both of them said, all right, we've heard you, and you know what? I promise that we are going to get you what you asked for for your birthday, And just for your sake, they print off a copy on the printer in all color and they post it on the ceiling of their bedroom so that in the morning when they get up and they wait and they stretch and they look up, they're going to see the picture of the present reminding them, because those parents aren't going to forget to save their lives, but they look up and they are reminded that my parents, who I know I can trust, They've put their own integrity and their character on the line, and therefore I am certain that I am going to get what I asked for for my birthday. The rainbow was not given because God has a bad memory. The rainbow is given for us to look at and to be reminded that we have a God who is a God of promise that goes beyond culture and goes beyond time. And when God has said something, it is going to happen. We can stake literally our lives upon that. 
So Noah and his family end up finally on dry land and they and the animals get out and they're ready to start an entirely new home. Um, you get some more rep- repetitious uh, uh, enforcement on this, but let's just take a look at uh, one of my favorite theologians and listen to him for a few minutes. All right, well, we're down here in Oakland at the boat launch and the little beach. And some of you kids may have been down here this summer. A lot of people like to come to this park because it is a really nice beach. And it's well marked and it's well maintained for the most part if it hasn't been taken over by geese at the particular time you come down. And you can see that there's a couple of trees across the lake that are just starting to uh, blossom, if you will, into their autumn splendor. And... uh, This is a really pretty place and one that in just a couple of weeks is going to be exploding with more autumn color, especially uh, if the weather happens to cooperate. And so the reading for this morning from scripture, you kids, from your lesson is from the Apostle Paul to the church of the Colossians. And this is what it says, for by him, referring to Jesus, All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and by him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Which means, in a nutshell, that everything in the universe has been brought into existence at the end of the day for the sole and express purpose of bringing glory to God who is king and creator of all things. Which means, of course, you and I have been created by God who is to be our king and we exist for his glory. And so while he enjoys and delights in us going out into his creation and being able to appreciate the beauty of it, he also expects us to be mindful of the fact that as king and creator, he is the one that deserves all the praise and all the glory for it, which means not allowing that which bespeaks of his beauty and his grandeur not become an idol and basically replace God on the throne of our lives, letting that take precedent and priority over our worship of him. Well, we're moving toward Noah And where we're at in today's lesson is that God has really had enough with the human race, and so he caused a global flood. This was your lesson last week, you remember, right? And he caused a global flood to eliminate all of the human race and all of the animals except for the eight that went on the ark and for the animals that were also spared. And God's intention there was to take Noah and his family to begin again with a fresh and a new start, but with the same old instructions. And what were those instructions at their very base form? Well, God gave them in Genesis chapter 1 to Adam and Eve when he told them, your role number one is to be fruitful and to multiply and to go and fill the earth. And that was called a creation ordinance, which means it was not something that God said as a result of the sin that entered the world through the rebellion of Adam and Eve, but rather it is that which 
goes before the fall, which means it never changes. And so that creation ordinance, God repeats to Noah in chapter 9. And even though it's only eight, uh, eight chapters later that he repeats it, many, many, many years have gone by. And so Noah and his family are starting anew. And they know that they're supposed to multiply and be fruitful and fill the earth. But you know what? They thought they had a better plan. Well, it wasn't fair to say really them, because again, we're talking about many, many years later as people kept having babies and, and the population of the earth got bigger and bigger. Instead of listening to that creation ordinance and obeying God, they decided to do things their way. And what we're going to learn in the rest of this morning is when God tells us as the loving king and the loving creator to do something, it really is in our best interest to do just that. Again, the Apostle Paul wrote, For by him all things were created, both in heavens and on earth, and all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things, all things hold together. Noah, new start, but the same old instructions. Be fruitful, multiply, and completely fill the earth. Well, we resume now with chapter in chapter 11 of Genesis, where many, many years have transpired since Noah, and the population, as I said, of the earth has increased, and now they have come to rest at a place, if you will, um, that we will just call Babel. Beginning in chapter 11, verse 1, Now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. And it came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone, and they used tar for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. They didn't want to do what God said to do. And so instead, they were going to, to make themselves a people of renown. That's what it means to make a name for themselves and just become fat and sassy with exactly where they were at in complete belligerent disobedience to the Creator and the King. Verse 5, the Lord continues. So God came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. The Lord said, Behold, now they are one people, and they all have the same language. And this is what they began to do, and now something which they, and now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. And so what they did was they constructed what is generally recognized as a ziggurat. And, uh, we can put that up. And when I was in seminary, you know, Seminary professors are not known for having these great wild sense of humor, senses of humor. And so when one happens to say something, you almost have to think for a minute, right? It's like, was that a joke? Was that almost a, well, John Salehammer, who is internationally renowned, uh, as an Old Testament professor, um, was one of my profs there. You always got to drop those names. And, uh, 
we were talking about this particular passage in class one day and about ziggurats. And he was talking, and as he started, he said, now, and we knew what was coming. We knew, I mean, we were talking about ziggurats and the Tower of Babel and all of that. And he said, now, as you enter the classroom, be sure you extinguish all ziggurats at the door. And then, and there was that momentary, wait, was that a joke? Wow. And then, you know, you have to re you know, <laughs> you have to laugh, right? Because it's like, okay, you know, mark that one on the calendar. Anyway, it's a ziggurat. Now, a ziggurat, um, this is an artist's conception, obviously, of the Tower of Babel. Uh, it wasn't a tower like we might think of, uh, you know, the Space Needle in Seattle or something like that. Uh, they were constructed basically of the kind of the same shape as a pyramid, um, but the difference between a pyramid and a ziggurat was one of function primarily. Pyramids were essentially just tombs for, of course, the big famous, the wealthy, the kings primarily, and, and royalty and all of that. A ziggurat, on the other hand, could also have that function, but it served expressly, too, as a center of worship, worship of their whatever the particular god of the civilization happened to be. And the reason that they would build these these uh, magnificent edifices with these stairs going up is that in their minds, they believed that if they got it high enough, they could walk the stairs into heaven. And it makes Led Zeppelin come to mind for some reason, those of the right age group. At any rate, so here the Tower of Babel, the people are there. They're in defiance of the Lord God, King and Creator of the universe. And they determine, no, we're not going to go scatter and fill the earth. We're going to stay here. We've made a name for ourselves. Look at this incredible tower. There's nothing like it. We can now, without that God, we can make our way up the stairs and we can go to heaven all on our own. And so God said, huh, that's not going to stand. But remember now, God never violates human will. And so no matter how determined they were, God's not going to force them to do something they didn't. By the way, Barbara and I, um, ziggurats are still in existence today. There is one in Chechen Itza, Mexico, another one in Tulum, Mexico. Barbara and I, years ago, um, went to the one in Chechen Itza, and that's what this one is. I took, or Barb took the picture. Somebody took the picture. And um, what was really cool about this, and we didn't realize that, but I believe Barbara and I and the, the, whatever the people that were there that day or that week were the last people who were allowed to actually traverse the stairs up to the top. It's been closed off ever since because of wear and tear and all of those kinds of things. And as easy as it looks to get up there, that's really quite a steep pitch. And what you can't appreciate is the stairs are not very, it's not like a regular stair deep. It's its very uh, narrow so that your whole foot, if I remember, didn't even fit on the stair. And even me with all my airborne training and mountain climbing and rappelling on mountain faces and everything, as I started to climb up this thing and I'm looking down, I'm thinking, he, if my foot just slips a little bit, and I start falling, you're not stopping until you get to the bottom. It was that steep. And so anyway, the people of the day, and this was happens to be a Mayan structure, they would pilgrimage and make their way up the stairs to the top. There was a sacrificial area where they would offer sacrifices to their gods and all of that. 
And out of each one of those windows, which was an all four size, it looked out on a particularly uh, uh, place, uh, important place of worship, usually a burial grounds that could be seen from the top of this particular ziggurat. So again, this is not something fanciful when we talk about the Tower of Babel. This is just, as we know, reading from God's word that it is uh, actual history. Um, and so we can appreciate it even on that level. Now, again, the people made it up in their mind that they no longer needed God because they could do anything they put their minds to. But you know what? We don't have to go all the way back to the very first book of the Bible to find that kind of hubris in the heart of mankind. And this may surprise you, but there is a uh, world-renowned amusement park in the United States, in Orlando, called Disney World. Years ago, many years ago, Barbara and I, because I was at school in Georgia at the time, we'd go down and visit her grandparents in Ocala, Florida, and we didn't know what was going on at Disney World. We'd never been there. Our kids were very small, very small. And uh, Barb's grandparents said, why don't you guys go down to Epcot? It just opened this week. And EPCOT, I found out later, stands for the Environmental Prototype Community of Tomorrow. And in that, at that day when we went, there were only five exhibits even open. This is Spaceship Earth. It's almost one of the trademarks of, uh, of Disney. And inside the Spaceship Earth, it takes you on this, this journey through prehistoric Earth. And, and I may be confusing it with another uh, venue in Epcot, but I don't think so. But as you're traveling through the Spaceship Earth, there's this recorded voice, of course, and it's narrating what you're looking at. And I remember seeing a display with scuba divers who were uh, under the ocean, and there were these structures all built under the ocean, and basically uh, they were they were farming under the ocean because of the, you know, whatever the issues were on top of the surface of the earth and everything and food shortages. This was their creative way of going to be able to resolve food shortage all over the world. And then another part of the exhibit, there was a completely enclosed um, above earth area that was so perfectly climatologically controlled that growing seasons and production of the particular uh, vegetables and fruits and everything would be maximized. And again, we're going to do away with hunger and all that. And here is the phrase that I remember to this day. And it was, even though I was a baby Christian in that day, it sat me up straighter in my chair and I went, wow. Because what the narrator said after taking you through all of this is that given enough time, man can accomplish anything. And you see, the power of that was you were just taken through the future of tomorrow. And you're buying it hook, line, and sinker. And it's not a coincidence that Walter Disney was a renowned humanist, which means an atheist who sees mankind, human beings, as being the pinnacle of all that there is in the universe. And so mankind is the one who has to solve his own problems. Not only is there no need for God, but there isn't a God, even if you needed one or wanted one. Epcot is a monument to the Tower of Babel, the exact same scenario, the exact same pride to make a name for ourselves because now who needs God? We can do it ourselves. There's nothing new under the sun, Solomon wrote. 
And for sure, he knew what he was talking about. Well, in verse 7 of Genesis 11, it continues, And God says, Come, let us go down. Who's us? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I have to presume it's plural. The Trinity, come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. And this morning again with little bobbins in front of me, I took a dollar bill out of my pocket. And in Russian, I didn't tell them that. I just said to them, I have a dollar that I want to give to the first person that tells me their first and last name. And I stood there with the dollar and they're looking at me like, And I let the tension build a little bit. And I finally said, why, why didn't you guys do anything? Because they didn't understand a word that I said. I said, now, if we were, if the stakes were much more important, and let's think now about an entire community of thousands of people who all spoke the same language and God who's not going to overrun an individual's freedom of choice and will, all God had to do was say, okay, you 5,000 people are going to speak this language, you 5,000 this language, you 5,000, or however he did it. And he, so he says he confused their language. What he did was he gave different languages to all these different people groups. Well, guess what happens? Birds of a feather flock together. It's called the homogeneous unit principle. You all knew that. Birds of a feather flock together. And so now the people who could understand themselves... They're going to skedaddle and they're going to start forming a city and a town, what have you, all of their own. Because in order to function, you have to be able to understand people. They did it of their own free choice. God compelled them to make the choice that he wanted them to make to fulfill the creation ordinances, ordinance of multiplying and filling the earth. And so they did. And God is never mocked because he knows what he is doing always. The Lord of the universe loves people. He loved those that he created from the outset and who have come into being ever since. And we know that it is his express purpose now through the church, but also through his own miraculous workings of the Holy Spirit and wooing people unto himself is still in the business of trying to capture, capture people's hearts and minds and attention long enough to stop and pause and realize that they are needy, that they do need a God, and that their God that they need is the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. And he is still endeavoring to this day and will endeavor till everyone's dying breath and until he comes back again to try and get that through to mankind well i wanted to have some fun as i wrapped up today and so i had uh was thinking about something i've been doing for uh, a couple of years now around the house and uh, i'm going to share that with you well Welcome to our pond here at the ranch, meaning our house. And I have been working now two seasons with three of our goldfish that are in the pond here at getting them to trust me enough to feed them by hand. And I've had a little bit of success with this intermittent times, but then uh, they still tend to get quite skittish every now and then. So especially if they get a, 
a view of Barb, the videographer today. Thank you, sweetie. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see how this goes. So here we go. See, they're looking at me already because they kind of know what's coming. Yeah, look at it. They're right there. Here comes one. Right out of my hand. So that was good. Yeah. But you see, look at They take a little snack and then they skedaddle again because they're still just not sure. So I got to say, today they're cooperating for the camera. That's better than they uh, usually do. Maybe they're just camera hogs. But you can see Silsi that, uh, oh my goodness. If I didn't know better, I thought I just saw another baby fish in there that we did not even know was in here. At any rate, of course now the food's all over, so they're going to be uh, pretty attentive to all of that. And usually as soon as I stand up, they tend to freak out a little bit, which again is understandable. Although, I think they're kind of getting used to me after two seasons, they ought to. At any rate, it's taken two years to get them to trust me to this extent, and there is another fish in there, hun. Um, but they still, uh, especially if there's somebody alongside of me, they won't even come near me. And so I was thinking about, you know, how in the world, and this is my question for you kids, and think, think outside the box now, so to speak, or think outside the pond. What could I do in order to help them understand that they there's no reason for them to fear me? I mean, we, we have to keep their pond free of ice in the wintertime, and we have a special thing that does that. Um, otherwise, they wouldn't make it through the winter. And... I've been feeding them off and on by hand throughout two summers now, as I said, and yet they still don't trust me, certainly not completely, and really not even a whole lot. So what could I possibly do to make them understand that the one who's been caring for them all along is somebody they can trust? What do you think? What would you say about that? I'm going to take some... some <laughs> I'm going to take some suggestions. The spirit of Babel came upon me there at the last. I don't know what that was all about. Um, I got to explain about the little fish. I know it's silly, right? But I'm out there every day. There's no other fish in that pond ever. Okay. As long as we've had them. And actually it's been longer than two years, probably two full seasons, probably two and a half years. And all of a sudden I'm like, I could have sworn I just saw a little black fish. Black, no less. Not gold. And sure, not only was there one, turns out there's two. So I don't know, maybe spontaneous generation. What have you. Anyway, so I'd ask the kids to be thinking about that and think about, so what could I do to communicate with them? I, you know, how could I enter their world and speak to them in language that they would clearly understand to let them get to know me and to know that I am completely, fully trustworthy? In fact, I'm the one to whom they owe their existence 
because without us, they would have been dead two winters ago. Well, they weren't very helpful. They did have some suggestions, but uh, I decided, what if I were to become like one of them? I I can't even look at it. I just <laughs> So, what if the PB goldfish entered their world in that pond where I could obviously I could speak their language. I don't know if they speak or they bubble. I don't know what they do or how they communicate, but obviously they do something. And I would let them know once they got over the the Man, that is one ugly fish. Uh, once I got over that, okay, I could do that. And of course, that yet is exactly what our great king and creator of the universe has done for us. In Philippians chapter 2, the apostle Paul writes about Jesus saying, who although he existed in the form of God in his world, did not regard equality with God something to be clung to, but humbled himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the image and likeness of man. That's exactly, as silly as my illustration is, it's exactly what God did when he became a man and came here for the sake of living among us, for the sake of being there being eyewitnesses, of being able to communicate verbally, not just through the written word or through dreams or visions and all that that he did in the Old Testament, but up close and personal. That's the level of his desire to want mankind to know that they do have a need for the heavenly creator, for there is no other way. To get to heaven. You can climb all the stairs you want. There's a many, many, many taller structures around the world from any known ziggurat ever of all times. I've been in the top of the St. Louis Arch, the Sears Tower, some of the tallest buildings in the world, Empire State Building. There's no way we can get to heaven on our own. We know that. But there's a whole world out there that not only does not know it, they don't care to know it. They see no need to know it. And so with the gospel project and with the help of parents endeavoring to be involved in the spiritual nurture and care of their children, which is God's primary Deuteronomy 6 commission to the family to raise their children to be God-loving, God-fearing uh, citizens for the sake of the world, before the sake of themselves, and dropping them off here at church or bringing them every once in a while, or every now and then, or they come home with assignments and you can't be bothered with them. They, before God, need your help. And just last night, totally coincidentally, Billy happened to uh, text Barb and I. He sent us both a picture of he and his wife, Kelly, who were out on a date, and he used that word. And all he said was, I'm out on a date with Kelly, Dad. Thank you. Thank you, Mom for the example that you lived with us in the home and we are duplicating it throughout, and they have throughout their lives. It makes a huge difference. There's no guarantee that any child is going to continue walking with Christ. Nobody knows that better than God the Father Almighty. Adam and Eve can't say, well, my dad. No, that doesn't work. 
And so I implore you to rearrange your priorities and invest your lives in the future church, in the church of tomorrow, for the sake of Jesus, who is worthy of it all. Let me have you stand. Lord in heaven, I thank you, Father, so deeply for every person that's involved in our children's ministries, and there's so many, Lord, who love the kids so passionately. And, oh God, I pray truly for the moving of your Holy Spirit upon the parents that are not here today, even knowing what today was going to be about and for, chose not to be here with their children. Father in heaven, Have mercy upon them, yes, but wake them up to what rides in the future of their being good, godly Christian parents modeling for them what they are supposed to be living before you. And thank you, Lord, for coming to our world and being one of us for our sakes. We thank you from the depths of our being. All glory and praise to you forever and ever. Amen.